0: Hey there, welcome to the Doing Good Business Podcast, hosted by Kelly Stewart, business strategist, helping companies to do good in all aspects of their business, and me, Laura Heacock, a leadership coach, helping professionals bring kindness into business. Doing Good Business is a podcast for leaders who wanna bring their whole selves to work and create companies that make a real difference in the world. Hey, everyone, welcome back to Doing Good Business. I cannot believe it is already almost the end of January 2019, Kelly and I are so excited to have our guest today, and I will actually let Kelly tell you a little bit about her, and then you can hear more about her as well. Kel? Thank you, Laura. I appreciate that. Yes,
1: um, I'm absolutely thrilled today because our guest is Jamila Medley, and she's the Executive Director at the Philadelphia Area Cooperative Alliance. And I first heard Jamila speak earlier this year as a panelist discussing democratic leadership and was absolutely fascinated by the topic and by her expertise in this area. So I could not be more excited to have her here with us today. And so, Jamila, why don't you tell everyone, our listeners, a little bit about what you do in your role as the Executive Director at the Philadelphia Area Cooperative Alliance.
2: Thank you. I'm so excited to be um, on your show this evening. Uh, Thanks for the invitation. So the Philadelphia Area Cooperative Alliance, otherwise known as PACA, is a nonprofit and a co-op of co-ops. We exist to improve the lives of people in the Philadelphia region by supporting democratically organized businesses, promoting the principles of the international cooperative movement, and growing the cooperative economy. And we do this work um, primarily through education and training helping people to learn about what the cooperative uh, business model is and why it has particular benefit uh, to communities and individuals, and also providing technical assistance to uh, groups of folks who are thinking about starting uh, new cooperatives. And usually in those early phases of development, we're around to kind of both provide some direct technical assistance but also to refer folks out to uh, local, regional, and national um, connections who can also help with their business development along the way.
1: That's awesome. And how long has has this been happening in the, in the Philadelphia area?
2: Sure. Well, I'll I'll, I'll preface it by saying um, the packet This is not the first iteration of some kind of federated attempt at creating cooperative businesses in the Philadelphia region. Uh, there have been cooperatives in Philadelphia since, you know, the 1700s when Benjamin Franklin founded a mutual insurance uh, cooperative, actually, in the 1750s. So okay. there are deep roots of co-ops in Philadelphia. Uh, PACA kind of got started in 2011 when a group of cooperators, people who were uh, board members, employees, member owners of a variety of co-ops throughout the Philadelphia area came together to um, and just started having this conversation about, you know, we each belong to different co-op businesses. Uh, some of us might belong to a food co-op. We might also um, belong to a credit union or live in a housing co-op. But our co-op sectors tend to be pretty uh, separated. But what would it be like, and what would be the benefit and value if we were thinking more collectively and more cohesively about the co-op movement and what we could actually do to grow the co-op movement and the co-op brand in our region? And that's the question that sparked pretty much the birth of TACA, and we began really formally organizing our work in 2012. I love that.
1: And. Laura and I recently did an episode on leadership, and we've talked about these types of subjects on a, on a few of our shows, actually. But, you know, we've talked about managerial leadership and a lot of that coming from veterans who were returning from World War II, bringing their leadership mm-hmm. training into business and then and the need for kind of this transformational leadership that we have today, uh, given mm-hmm. the, the challenges and change that, that we all face today in business one of the things that really struck me about the panel that you were on was this idea of this democratic leadership. And I think it would be really interesting to learn a little bit more about not only how does that work in the in the cooperative, but how could someone else in business maybe employ some of the principles of democratic leadership? How would that work in other areas?
2: Sure. You know, we like to think that cooperatively owned businesses Are inherently democratic uh, businesses so you have a group of people who have a common need a common uh, desire to see a product or service become available to them and they determine that they are going to pool their resources together to create the market and um, the venue the enterprise to get that need that need met and they do this by having a one member one vote kind of um, structure so you know, your member share to to join the co-op could be $200. I could, but you could certainly invest beyond that level. But so whether you invested $200 or $2,000, every person who's a member only has one vote. So there's an equalizing effect that, in a you know, a democratizing effect that happens at the very core of a co-op business. So I think where we see co-op, uh, co-ops being able to practice democratic leadership is really coming from the roots of what the co-op business is itself. And so within the co-op, um, oftentimes the boards of directors are trying to figure out ways in which to democratize their own leadership practices. And then in the management structure of those businesses, they're also thinking about that. And fundamentally, it's uh, about how do we make sure that the people who are a part of this enterprise are being fully valued for who they are, for the contributions that they can potentially make. Because we know that when people are able to show up and engage and feel connected to the work that they do and they feel valued, the bottom line is that a business can probably succeed better, right? It's going to have more creativity. It's gonna have a deeper bench for thinking about ideas and solutions to problems, as well as opportunities. And it fosters a collaborative and participatory process for encouraging people to make contributions and strengthening the skill set of the employees and workers within a business. And I think that that's something that any business probably could really consider um, how to integrate into their management um, functions and style. And I'd, I'd also say that You know, democratic leadership, as we're aware, is is one of many different kinds of leadership styles, and it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of tool that you just use all of the time. But I think that it has um, particular merit in really being a good strategy for um, building a foundation of how you want to practice uh, leadership within an organization. I love that.
0: So, Jamila, you had mentioned a couple of, you know, different kinds of businesses that are in this cooperative alliance. So when I first think when I think of co-op, my first thought is I live out in the suburbs, so I'm near um, Weaver's Way Co-op in -hmm. in Chestnut Hill. So I think of like, oh, my local food co-op. But you had mentioned, you know, credit unions and things like what other kinds of businesses do you have in the alliance? Or, you know, can you really kind of describe what kind of business would be considered a co-op? Because, I, you know, I think of, oh, the food co-op, you you know, you pay a membership to join and you go with your, you know, box each week and you fill it up. But there's so much more to it than that that just isn't front of mind for me and probably not for some of our listeners.
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, I think of co-op as having two fundamental components to it. And I, I think it's an association of people, as I mentioned before, the coming together of a group of people because they have a common need. So you think about the food co-op; it's because a group of people want control over um, the food that's in their community and how they access it um, and how it's distributed, and, and they want to be able to to have control over um, that product and the service, but also the enterprise. And so it's this association of people that are coming together to create this enterprise. And the enterprise can really be anything. <laughs> um, so I, I mentioned credit unions, you know, credit unions are financial institutions that are owned by its members, right? So the, the bottom line at a credit union isn't to fill the pockets of, um, of, of the owner, you know, some distant person or set of stakeholders who aren't connected. Mm-hmm. It's Mm -hmm, the people who actually own the enterprise, right? So that model can exist in a lot of different um, organizational um, settings and needs. So, and a lot of workers, you know, the emergence of worker owned cooperatives is really um, growing, a growing sector in our movement right now where people are thinking, you know, traditionally, and lots of folks, when you think about uh, immigrant communities are you thinking about people who were formerly incarcerated who have a ta- a hard time accessing the traditional job market? what mm. happens when those folks pool their resources together and determine to create their own jobs right? It's much easier mm-hmm. for, in some ways to consider capitalizing a business with other people than trying to do it on your own right And then to be able to determine for yourselves um, and amongst yourselves, how are we going to pay each other? What uh pay ourselves? Um, what's our value proposition to our customer base? Um, how are we going to make decisions together? And and how can we do that and distribute um that power and that leadership amongst ourselves in a way that helps everyone be included, right? And so there's right. high inclusion. Um, it's an equitable framework, right? Where people are often thinking about. How do we ensure that the most marginalized and most vulnerable within our our community are best served through the decisions that we're making by making sure that they're at the table and they have voice? And cooperatively owned businesses provide those opportunities for people to get their needs and services met.
0: You were talking a little bit earlier, and even in that answer that you just gave me, which was so helpful, thank you, about Mm -hmm. democratic leadership. And I'm curious as, you know, so you're a leader yourself, you are the executive director. How do you incorporate the the co-op principles and the principles of domestic leadership into democratic leadership, sorry, into Mm -hmm. your own staff and your own work as a leader? What do you notice some things that you're doing or, you know, what do you try and use as guiding principles for your own teams?
2: I think some of the things that have been really important for me is, (laughs) you know, I think about, I don't like to have to do all of the things so I, I'm always trying to figure out, well, how do I delegate out? <laughs> hashtag, hashtag all the things. Kelly and I have been known to say, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that's right. all the things. Mm-hmm. And so it really makes my job easier as a leader when I can provide other leadership opportunities for the folks on my team, right? So that right. if I, if, you know, we're hiring people because they have good skills. Um, we value and understand the integrity that they're bringing to their work. Uh, we understand their competencies. And, you know, as is true for anyone, everybody has learning, curves, right? But when we have a set of core competencies and, and a set of, um, of, of dependencies and areas of trust with our team members, then there's, in my opinion and in my experience, it is so much more beneficial to figure out how to get those folks to shine, right? Mm-hmm. To take lead and to to really figure out how to push forward the work that they're doing. So I see my role often as a leader as being a facilitator and a guide, right, mm-hmm. not a director in the sense of me saying, here's all of the things that need to be done, go off and do them. In a team environment where, you know, I think my, my job and my role is to, to hold the vision and to see the big picture, but to also share that and convey it and help people understand it. And then when they have that understanding, then it's all of our responsibility, our collective and shared agenda to figure out how do we get there. And each person, you know, contributes different things to that. And so my um, interest is in really helping people cultivate what they think that they can contribute and how they want to contribute and seeing how those, you know, kind of work together with the work and the mission of the organization and how the team is going to work together to you know, identify and achieve both those individual sets of goals and needs, but also what is going to be good for the collective. And so I try to stay out of the way by telling people Mm -hmm. what to do and really try to get people to explain to me what do they see the needs are and Mm -hmm. and how can we approach it. So my curiosity and my interest in, you know, trying to figure out what are the right questions to be asking of my team so that they can be, you know, the best performers uh, in the work that they need to do.
0: I love that so much, because one of the the biggest things that I notice in, I think this comes up mostly in in new leaders, they get, first of all, it's very hard to delegate. And second of all, they don't, you know, that discomfort of delegating often causes them to just like, almost give orders and not explain. And people crave what you just described, which is to understand, you know, how is my piece of this puzzle going to have an impact? Like, what's the why behind what we're doing? You know, even though I may have a very small task in the grand scheme of this large organization. If I can understand where my task fits into the whole, and, and that sounds like a lot of what you're just describing about your management style, there's so much more intrinsic value and, you know, motivation to, to complete that task when people understand it. So I, I just loved hearing that. Thank you. It sounds like a very natural path,
1: right? When I think about traditional leadership, what we're talking about here, employee engagement, in a lot of businesses, right? How do you get Mm -hmm. people to flourish? And so many times, you know, we've seen it where that's forced or contrived or in some way, because in traditional leadership, the leader feels like I need to have all the answers. I need to tell everybody what to do, right? That's my job. And that's what I think first attracted me to this different type of leadership style. And in hearing you speak earlier this year was that there's a flow to this that just feels very natural, and I love the way you described it, you know, to, to guide them, that you're holding the vision, right? You, you Someone yeah. has to have that. But then you're letting people step up and kind of seek their natural level using their mm-hmm. strengths, right, mm-hmm. their talents to the best of their ability under that bigger vision or in support of that
0: bigger vision.
2: That's right. I mean, I think you know, when you have a job and you're coming to work every day, nobody wants to waste their time. <laughs> <Some play> <laughs> <right>. <laughs> I, I'm hoping that, you know, the folks who are working alongside me want to be there because they care about the work that we're doing and they, they believe that it's going to make some kind of value-added impact to the folks that they're serving. And I think one of the challenges that I often hear from other leaders who are thinking about how to initiate democratic leadership practices, it's really about control and power, right? Like, how do, right. we, how do we learn to shift the way in which most of us are socialized to think of leadership as, as being in a position of control and power, right? right. And, and we certainly have that, particularly when your leadership is embedded in your title, right? And you're responsible for certain sets of things and you get to make the decisions about things. There certainly is control and power embedded in that. But the opportunity in it is that you can share it with other people. (laughs) And so, you know, figuring out what are you willing, you know, even in talking with, um, you know, entrepreneurs or or folks who own their own businesses and um, have small teams and are trying to figure out how do they let go a little bit, right? They're not quite ready to say I'm not gonna be in control or in charge anymore, but they are starting to recognize the benefit to their bottom line and to mm-hmm. the satisfaction of their employees of being able to figure out how do we share this? And I think some of this is about figuring out how to have these conversations uh, amongst leaders internally for themselves about what am I willing to kind of give up to create this environment, right? And what am, how am I willing to be adaptable and flexible um, with what I've learned and what I've, I've experienced to make this transition of, in this possibility available for everyone.
1: And you said something earlier, too, that really um, struck me, that you let your own curiosity be your guide mm-hmm. in some of this. And I think that's phenomenal. And to me, that's something that maybe we don't pay enough attention to in business. And I love to hear that, that you're just kind of, again, naturally thinking that way, right? <laughs> Where, where's my curiosity leading me? In addition to this natural curiosity that you mentioned about, you know, you you let your curiosity guide you where you're going with with some of this leadership, what would be other types of leadership skills in addition to letting go that you would recommend to somebody who is either, you know, just specifically considering moving towards a co-op model or Mm -hmm. somebody who's just, you know, specifically trying to broaden their leadership skills and maybe migrate towards this type of democratic leadership style?
2: Yeah, I think at the base of this, um, there needs to be really good communication available uh, within the team, amongst the team members and between the, the leader and the individual team members. I think that leaders, you know, we, PACA has a, uh, a leadership development program that we did earlier in 2018. We did a workshop on situational leadership, which I think is really about helping leaders be able to determine how to shift um, what it is that they're – how how they're leading individual team members so that they're more effective at getting those individuals to do what it is that they can to perform at, at their best capacity and ability not by asking those team members to to conform in a particular kind of way, but by the leader taking on some responsibility for figuring out what does this specific team lead, team member need that's different from this other person and how do I need to make those, um, acknowledge um, those variances in my own leadership approach. I think another thing is that you have to have really good process, (laughs) I think. people who are doing democratic leadership and are participating in democratic processes of all different kinds, there really has to be, you know, some strong agreed upon process that also is a little bit nimble so that if the process isn't working, people can, you know, move towards something different and there's there's room for people to talk about what's working and what's not working in it. And again, I, I think that the leader also has to, be an expert facilitator, right? So being able mm-hmm. to understand and read the room and and draw out from folks what they, what is needed, um, being able to see where there might be tensions, being able to uncover um, spaces that haven't been addressed yet, and you know, and and guiding people to really come into into the space with them. So I think good communication, good process and good facilitation are all really important. And I think also the ability to to share some of the roles and responsibilities, right? So one of the things that I did, I formed a new department when I was working at Mariposa Food Co-op, and we had membership communications and outreach and education combined into one department for the first time. And we started having our departmental meetings with me facilitating and setting agendas for every single one of these meetings. And then when I was meeting with each of the individual staff persons, I was also creating agendas and facilitating these meetings. <laughs> and at some point I realized this isn't really helping anyone. <laughs> and so we began to transition. Once people began to feel more comfortable in their role, we then began to set up different expectations so that Individual team members took on responsibility of preparing agendas and facilitating our staff meetings. And when I had my mm-hmm. one on ones with my team members, I tried to frame them so that they weren't for me, for you to give me an update about what you're doing. These meetings, these one on ones are for you so that you can get from me what it is that you need to be able to do your work. <laughs> so, oh, I love it. Um, how I love that too. You, how do we <laughs> orient? you know, the work and the vision and and, and and the space around leadership so that it's really cultivating and bringing out the opportunities and, and the potential within our team members. And I did, love that. I just, did your team sorry, respond to that? <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. sorry, Laura. <laughs> yeah. No, go, because I want to know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, when with the first person who was on staff, I was like, oh, this is going well. And then when we brought the next person on, Right when we first started meeting, I set it up as the expectation that we're going to meet every week, and for the first month or so, I'm going to set the agenda, and we'll continue to talk about this. But as time goes on, I expect that you'll be able to come to me with what you need to get out of this meeting. And so, you know, you can ask me. We, we can talk about creating a shared agenda, um, but I, I'm going to expect that this is the space and the time that you have with me and that I can be available to support you. So you're going to need to let me know what you need from me in this 90 minutes that we're going to have or whatever. And so we worked towards that. It wasn't an automatic or an immediate thing, but we were able to build. For some some folks, it might have meant I needed to help them figure out how to create an agenda or figure out how to prioritize what was important to talk about. And so that over time, Mm -hmm. those things became clearer, and they were able to better manage because they had a better understanding of their own work because they were forced to, to really analyze it for themselves and it wasn't so prescribed.
0: I love that. In the coaching world, we call that co-creating the relationship. And it's just like I'm just so tickled to hear, you know, all of these overlaps. You know, one of the first things mm-hmm. that I say to a new client is, you know, this is your time. We're going to be here together, but this is co-created and, and, you know, we're going to look at your goals and things like that, but it's, it's their time and just the, the principles of exploring curiosity and letting go of things. It's, it's exciting. And I'm wondering, you know, I hear so clearly the benefits to, to the employees and and I'm curious, Mm -hmm. what do you see resulting in the business, um, Kelly. I'll borrow your macro hat for a second because I know you love sure. the the results side and, and the measurable uh-huh. side. What are some of the measurable things, Jamila, that you've seen in some of the businesses in the organization?
2: I think some of the things I can speak to in my own experience is is seeing you know less turnover in certain roles. Mm-hmm. The, the fostering of really strong team dynamics, right, which meant that I, I almost want to talk about it as succession planning. I can remember at one point with this new department that I had formed, I was pregnant and one of our other teammates were pregnant and our our parental leaves were back to back. And so right. we had to strategize how how is our team going to be available to keep our work going for the department without me and then without mm-hmm. the both of us. And then without her for four to five months, right? And part of that work was around really being able to boost people's confidence as well as their competencies around being able to do the work and to be relying on each other to hold it together. So I think that that sense of collectivity and collaboration really helped people not feel like they were isolated or on their own when they had problems that they had people mm-hmm. that they could work with and talk to so that balls didn't drop and things just didn't get done because people felt like they didn't have anywhere to go or they were too afraid to turn somewhere. It meant that people mm, could right. still continue to be productive. They could still contribute, continue to contribute. And even though the both of us were gone, and, you know, when we got back, nothing, you know, for the most part, they didn't miss a beat, <laughs> right? Mm, so, right. I was like, "Did I just work Which my way out of a job?" <laughs> Which is great. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, and to some degree, I think that that was a goal, right? For me, for me mm-hmm. was to be able to see how do we actually imagine flattening layers <laughs> when it's possible. Right. And I think that that was one of, a really great opportunity to experiment with that, where we got to see, you know, what are some of the things that when I came back, I was like, oh well, you all can, are, are really effective at doing X, Y, and Z. I don't really need to play as much a role in that anymore, right? Mm-hmm. So that frees me up to be able to do other kinds of, of things with my own work. And I think it really also helps the other teammates outside of that department to have a renewed sense of uh, confidence in our department and, right. you know, to really be able, willing to, to invest uh, more in the work that we were doing.
1: Well, this could almost be a Valentine's Day show, because I want to say again, I love that. Um, <laughs> because there's So much of this that I love. And, and, you know, and what you said in preparing people for the leave to boost their confidence and their competencies. And again, I think that's a, a difference in, in what we see in more of this traditional management where you're expected to have the confidence and just step up and do it. But That's not always the solution. And so I think in providing them that kind of boost in competencies in in, in the areas that they would be stepping into, I think must have been invaluable to them Mm -hmm. in giving them that confidence where one feeds the other. Right, And it's almost like while you were gone, it it was making me think of neural networks, right? They're constantly forming, unforming, reforming. And this Mm -hmm. gave your team, again, a really organic way of doing that that you didn't see as a deficit when you came back. You saw it as, oh, great, this is opportunity. I don't need to be involved in that anymore. And these are yeah. things that we see, Laura and I see it all the time, right, that businesses traditionally struggle with because the, the norm has been, you know, we have to have the answers. You know, it all has to begin and end with me. I've got to be directing slash controlling and... Yeah. And that's where I think we run into a lot of the problems where we see higher turnover, lack of engagement and all of those things. So I could not be happier that you were able to be with us today so that we could really get a a completely different perspective about something
0: that's working, working well and um, inspiring. It is genuinely inspiring. I think that, you know, Mm -hmm. Jamila, you briefly hit on something that, you know, you came back and you thought like, oh, my gosh, did I like manage myself out of a job? And I think that's really the fear. And I think that's why people so often don't tap into curiosity and they do try and, you know, maintain that like tightly controlled managerial style. But what's actually true is that when you come back, you actually get to be more visionary and more strategic and all of the things that leaders are quote unquote supposed to be. But most often we hear they just don't have time. Like I don't have time to think strategically. I have all of these paragraphs that I have to check the grammar out, You know what I mean? Like so yeah. it's it's wonderful and refreshing to hear it in, in practice. And, and I know that Kelly and I are just so aligned in our thinking and so thrilled to have you here today. So thank you very, very much.
2: Well, thanks so much for the opportunity to talk. It's helping me as I'm going into the new year with a couple of new team members (laughs) um, to also be thinking (laughs) about how to remember to reapply and really check in on myself more about, you know, continuing this work and and Mm -hmm. picking back up some of these pieces that I haven't had to use in a while because my team dynamics shifted, but, Mm. um, I'm really excited to have this conversation at the beginning of the year. So thank you.
0: Awesome. Thank you. So where can people, what is, if there's anything exciting for PACA that you have that you're looking forward to in, in 2019, or we'll obviously, we'll link to the PACA website in our show notes, but if there's anything that you want to share, please do.
2: Yeah, I would suggest also, you know, visit our website Uh, Sign up for our newsletter, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Philly Co-ops, and that's just Philly, C-O-O-P-S. We're excited about 2019. We're going to be doing a new series of leadership development workshops, a lot of it grounded in this work around democratic leadership principles. Um, And so we're going to be doing that again with um, Culture Works of Greater Philadelphia, we're looking forward to doing that. And if you're interested in learning more about cooperatives, what they are, um, whether or not you want to start one or you want to figure out how to support them, do follow us and you know check out our website, sign up for our newsletter again so that you can keep up with events and activities that we'll be having throughout the year. Thank you again
0: so much. Uh, We'll note the Facebook and Twitter, Philly co ops in our show notes. And Jamila Medley, thank you so much for joining us from the Philadelphia Area Cooperative Alliance. Thank you. All right. Take care.
2: Thank you again.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode. And we would love to hear from you. Send your comments, your questions, suggested topics to podcast at doinggoodbusiness.com. If you'd like, visit our website of the same name, doinggoodbusiness.com. Remember, you can always rate and review us wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. Feel free to share it. Until next time, we encourage you to take one small step toward doing good business.